equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200 We've got a midweek podcast for you I'm joined by my guests, uh, returning guest Paris Marks. Hey, how's it going? Hello, uh, great to join you again. Uh, you know, I guess we won't tell the listeners that I was very late. <laughs> <laughs> no, it happened. <laughs> editing that out, you cop to it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and first time on the podcast, Karen McLean. How's it going, Karen? I'm good. Happy to be here. Uh, you might have uh, caught Karen's article a couple of weeks ago uh, about the Act Party um, and the way they indulge in bigotry. To, to push uh, their electoral fortunes forward while developing just the most horrific anti-worker policies. And that's some of what we'll be covering uh, this evening on the podcast. We want to talk about... Wait, wait, I thought I was coming on the Pro Act podcast. Uh, <laughs> did, did, did I get the wrong memo? Uh, I mean, you yeah, can, this is, this you is can the try and find that podcast. corner if you want. <laughs> we're inventing new forms of racism today <laughs> yeah you can do pro act and i'll do the pro elon musk um, yeah, oh covered. <laughs> but and i think it's accelerated um over the last maybe five years but especially you know since the the pandemic began in 2020 um and some of those kind of more conspiratorial wedges developed we've seen a tendency of these We'll say the soft far right, so your libertarian uh, groups and your very radical right-wing economic parties just indulging a little in some of that rhetoric to try and shore up their electoral bases. Uh, And and this is something we're seeing in most Western liberal democracies. Um, So obviously over in the US, Trump was in power. Um, In the UK, uh, they had Boris Johnson. Those are very clear examples of those sorts of things happening. Uh, in Canada, I, I don't think it has been talked about as much. Um, while, while the Liberals have been in power, uh, and here in New Zealand, we've you know we we had like one of the best, if not well, we had the best response among liberal democracies in the West uh, to the COVID pandemic, um, and we had a ostensibly left wing government and and Labour under Jacinda Ardern. But even here, we started to see those uh, societal wedges appear, uh, and that's continued. Um, and it's become more of it's become more mainstreamed. Uh, we've seen a variety of different social media groupings um, and new media properties uh, show up in New Zealand in particular. I'm, I'm not sure specifically what the issue might be in Canada, but we might get into that with you, Paris. And it's had a significant policy effect on even what some of our left of center governments have felt they're able to do or felt they need to do to either shore up their base or put themselves in a, in a safer spot um, with the, I guess, uh, strategic understanding that if they don't, their right-wing opponents are going to tap into that somehow and increase either political violence um, or they'll just lose one or two percent um, in the election and they won't maintain power. Uh, and everyone who follows politics, we're pretty aware of that kind of stuff uh, here in New Zealand. We had uh, something that's now called the Parliament Protests, um, they frightened a lot of uh, politicians. They were pretty. They're pretty horrible. They're pretty nasty. Remember, uh, remember which country inspired those parliament programs? Oh, I wonder uh, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think ours were significantly different in a particular in a couple of key ways um, in terms of the constituency constituency of of the protests. But they were alternatively um, under and overestimated. It felt like in terms of the electoral uh, ramifications. 
So that's where we're at in New Zealand. We're in the middle of an election campaign now with a a right wing and out an outrider right wing party and the Act Party, um, who are they pretend to be libertarians, but they are probably one of the more extremely liberal parties we've ever seen in the world. Um, based on some of their policies, it's pretty ludicrous. They have just started to get into anti-train trans uh, bigotry in the last couple of weeks uh, after pushing this really bizarro world we're the ones who want to end racism and division uh over racist bigotry campaign which they're, they're actively running on as a core plank and a national party which is also indulged in that so that's the center right party and then a, a labor party which is just now starting to push back on some of that uh bigotry politics but is now refusing to do anything in the um economic space so no tax changes, no uh, real equity stuff. What has the situation been like in Canada? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can certainly fill you in on that. Um, you know that that's something I pay quite a bit of attention to. It it turns out. Um, I guess I guess just briefly for you know listeners who might not be familiar with um Canadian politics. Um, you know, our political parties are a little bit different than the ones that you'll be familiar with in New Zealand. So we have the Liberal Party, who is headed up by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau right now that you're probably familiar with. It's basically a centrist party and is kind of considered the natural governing party of Canada because it spent so much time in power over the past like century or so. Um, then we have the Conservative Party, which is um, a merger of, I guess, um, a party that used to be called the Progressive Conservative. So it was a bit more kind of, I don't know, uh, I wouldn't say like progressive leaning, but like, I guess more centrist leaning. Right. Um, but it was still a right wing party um, that then merged with parties called uh, the Reform Party and the Canadian Alliance, which were more kind of libertarian and uh, kind of socially conservative um, parties that were coming out of uh, the Canadian West. So Alberta and Saskatchewan and places like that. Um, and so now it's called the Conservative Party. And that is like the main opposition. And then beyond that, you have the New Democrats, which are like our center left party, which used to be kind of explicitly a socialist party, but has watered that down immensely uh, in the past number of decades. Uh, and then on top of that, we have the Bloc Québécois, which is a Quebec um, previously sovereigntist party, now a nationalist party. They tend to lean kind of center uh, left on issues, but not always. Um, they're more focused on kind of uh, improving Quebec's kind of lot within uh, the, the federation, right? And then there's the Green Party, which is had a moment like probably a decade, uh, eight years ago, and is pretty irrelevant right now, but does still have one or two seats in parliament. And then we also have the People's Party, which has no representation in parliament, but is kind of uh, splintered off of the Conservative Party and is a very kind of, uh, I would say, like leaning, like, you know, verging on far right party that, you know, plays into the kind of anti-trans discourse that plays into anti-vax discourse that wants very kind of uh, libertarian, deregulatory uh, economic policies, you know, like stuff like that, right, plays up the conspiracy theories as well. And so what we see now in Canada is Justin Trudeau has been in power for eight years. Um, there's a lot of questions as to whether he should stay in that position. Um, but honestly, I think all the kind of alternatives are worse if <laughs> someone else were to take over the party. Like he, you know, if, if people remember when he came to power, he was kind of more, you know, he was leaning more toward the left of the of the 
uh, liberal party, which means like still center, you know, still centrist party, but a bit more progressive in the types of things that he wanted to accomplish. Right. He legalized marijuana. Um, he brought in a child tax benefit that has been really important to like taking children out of poverty. Um, you know, there, there were a number of other other things that his government did that were generally positive. Right. Um not to say that they didn't also do some neoliberal bullshit that was totally terrible. Um, but what we see now uh, in the conservative party is that, you know, there were a number of leaders who were, you know, veering more toward this kind of progressive conservative legacy where, you know, they were a bit more open to like progressive social policies, still wanted, you know, your neoliberal economic policies and stuff like that. But the new leader um, who took over the party last year um, and, and it was actually the uh, trucker convoy that was the reason that the previous leader was basically kicked out of the party. Um, and then this guy took over after his name is Pierre Polyev. And so he took over and, you know, he kind of played into the anti-vax, anti-mask conspiracy theories um, and the stuff this around is the main him. opposition. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and so recently he's been kind of indulging in some anti-trans politics as well. Um, you know, he wants very uh, kind of deregulatory politics, but uh, he also does something that you see a lot among the kind of new far right or new extreme right where they pretend to be very in favor of like the working class and helping the working class mm -hmm. and caring about the issues that uh you know regular people care about like housing like in new zealand housing is a big issue in canada right now with high housing prices um and so the conservatives are saying oh the liberals allowed us to do this you know this is all the liberals fault and we are going to fix this if we come to power and make it so that, like you can afford a house and it's like no they absolutely will not but like this is the kind of misleading stuff that they'll do that pretend to be pro-worker to get people on side for this project that's actually going to be incredibly right-wing um, and even like somewhat socially conservative. Like there's there are people who are um, influential among his kind of group of people who would be in favor of restricting abortion again in Canada. Or I want to like doing... just jump in here because yeah, sorry, <laughs> New, New Zealanders. Well, no, like and I, I, I still I want more. I want to hear from you, but New Zealanders listening to this. Um, we'll just be hearing so much familiar stuff with our current election campaign, yeah. like to a, yeah. an incredible degree. And I want to just be clear that we haven't actually planned any of this podcast. Like, I, I did not know it was going to line up this hard. I had suspicions, um, <laughs> but this is just blowing me away. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I you know, I, I don't know as much about how the National Party has veered under um, Christopher Luxon. Um, so I can't go, really comment on that. Like I know the influence that act has had, um, recently, uh, and I know how, you know, Jacinda Ardern left the labor party and now you have this very centrist candidate who, um, you, you know, if you want to call him centrist, I don't know what you'd refer to him as, but basically who's promising, yeah, but like, you know, promising, yeah, but promising the electorate absolutely nothing and saying, you know, you should still vote for us. You know, it's like, oh, I wonder why everyone's like, oh, maybe we should vote for national, like, because Labour's not promising anything. And that's part of the problem there. The liberals find themselves in Canada right now as well. And they're very much down in the polls at the moment. But we 
um, don't have another election for two years. So they do have time to kind of bring this back up. Um, and they do not have a majority government um, in Canada. The, the Liberals don't. They're kind of um, working with the New Democratic Party, not in an official coalition, um, but just kind of like, you know, working together on policies. And so they're having to implement some more progressive, um, you know, wishy-washy progressive <laughs> policies uh, in order to keep like the New Democrats kind of ha happy and appeased, right? Uh, and Right now, actually, there was just a story the other day that um, the leader of the New Democratic Party, whose name is Jagmeet Singh, I think he's the first Sikh uh, political party leader in Canada. Um, he is kind of pushing the liberals now to try to get them to do a bit more because he can see that they're down in the polls and they definitely don't want an election. And if the New Democrats pulled their support, there would be an election. Right. Um, so right now, the the liberals find themselves in this place where you know, there have been some like smaller scandals that have built up, you know, people in general have turned against Justin Trudeau to a certain degree, you know, his kind of personal polling numbers are quite low, because he hasn't been able to deliver on these key challenges that, you know, New Zealand is facing similar to Canada, where cost of living is very high, wages are not keeping up. Um, housing is just ridiculous in not just the major cities now, but like the smaller cities are also getting kind of ridiculously expensive for compared to where they were kind of even pre pandemic. Right. Um, and so there's a real need to address those serious problems. And he has been unable to do that through his eight years in power. And now even responding to kind of the effects of inflation um, and again, these rising housing prices over the past year or so, um, there has they have really been unable to kind of show the public that they are on their side and that they can help them with these things. And in particular, the final thing I'll say is that, um, you know, we have a carbon tax in Canada uh, brought in by the Liberal Party. Um, and, you know, I'm not a huge supporter of it because I don't think that that's actually how you address, you know, the the issue of the climate crisis just by trying to nudging people into making decisions that they can't actually make because the alternatives aren't even available for them. <sighs> but there was recently kind of like an increase to the carbon tax at the same moment that. Um, you know, a lot of people are really struggling to pay their mortgages and pay their bills and put food on the table. Um, and that has kind of further fueled this kind of opposition um, to Justin Trudeau that we're seeing. Okay, let's head over to uh, the US. Karen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the US. The um, Dems have been bad for a long time, I think is, is one of the major differences. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the US, like I'll start with New Zealand. So I think the, the common thread in the US and New Zealand is obviously like cost of living, which is Paris mentioned, right? Like housing is really high wages are stagnant. And I think this is where the internationalist focus comes in because like basically like, like global monetary policy is tightening and like the consent that neoliberal governments bought with low interest rates and access to cheap credit is gone and it's not coming back. So like all the cheap shit that kept us pacified, like the, the, like as in like the houses and the, the cars and the iPhones um, and the things that basically gave us the highest standard of living in human history, like they're all going to go up because those credit was always so artificially low, basically since the 80s, that it was never going to be sustainable. Um, and because of that, like, like quality of life is going to go down. Like, I mean, our quality of life kind of has to go down to be environmentally sustainable. But for a lot of people, quality of life is going to go down. People who are once like living in luxury are going to be living middle class lives. People who are living middle class lives are going to be poor. And that means a lot of pain is going to be coming down the pipeline. And in the US, we have more of that pain because we have more poor people, our minimum wage is lower. But it's happening here too. Like there's pain in the works. And and I can already see like you have politicians like David Seymour at ACT and Luxon at National 
like what they're doing is they're they're lab testing um, what other they can create to then displace this pain onto. So it's either going to be Maori kids doing ram raids or it's going to be trans people, but they're basically figuring out a scapegoat population um, to displace this sort of cultural climate of like economic pain um, onto and people they can blame effectively. And that's like a very international phenomenon, which is why I think we're going to see like similar international results. Um, it's why ACT doesn't surprise me at all. Like I sometimes feel like we were, we were just like 15 years ahead of the curve in terms of material decay in America. And sometimes I have these feelings of deja vu because like, like to me, like I've seen this play out, right? Like I've seen this, uh, something's like this play out in America where like cost of living crisis basically gives way for like far right politicians to enter. But here, like your media sucks. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and they, um, are you saying all, the U.S. media doesn't suck? <laughs> no, no, but they're doing the same thing we did in 2016, right? Which is like, like there were a, a bunch of people in U.S. media, and I, like I myself, I wasn't a media at the time, but I myself was like, oh, Trump might not be that bad, and we were so wrong, like we were so fucking wrong. And it's kind of the same thing. We're like at the Herald and the spinoff, and like News Talk ZB and Gone by Lunchtime, like a lot of like there are these New Zealand editors like Toby Manhire, Thomas Coughlin, Ben Thomas. And they're spreading this sort of insidious, soporific idea of like New Zealand exceptionalism. They're like, oh, like we're civilized, we're different. Like, like the Americans are barbarians, but like what happened there won't happen here. And I just feel like I'm going insane because I'm like, that's not true. Like you guys are so wrong, but because there's this appetite for like childish self-soothing denial, like they're basically keeping a, a population, a portion of the voting population asleep. We really need them to like wake up and start organizing. So that, that's where I, that's my connection to American media. And I think Canadian is like, it's kind of the same problem everywhere. Like capital is created in the same country. And we're just like trying to get people to realize, to get over that, like to accept the discomfort and get over the denial before they start killing more people before things get really, really bad. It's so interesting to hear you say that about like New Zealand media and that kind of exceptionalism and like, you know, that happened in the US, but that could never happen here. And like Canadian media and Canadian com political commentary is like the exact same way, right? Uh, it's those those weird, crazy Americans. But up here in Canada, like we're the civilized North. We have public health care. Like we would never do something like that when it's very clear that like our politics is taking that like right wing turn as well. And when you say about the um, like finding that other to kind of blame it on and kind of push it on, like obviously we see in the States the very clear use of kind of um you know migrants and refugees and stuff like that as as the other that can very much be blamed for a lot of this stuff and like illegal immigrants quote unquote as you know just to use the term that that is used in american media um but i feel like even like to a lesser degree like you don't see that as much in canada um and i feel like not as much in in new zealand based on what i've seen in the discourse um but uh, one thing that you do see is the use of like, you know, if we look at like um, the housing issues that are happening right now, it's like the foreign buyers are the problem, yeah, not like yeah. the local kind of capitalists and landlords and stuff like that. So we need to like tax them or stop them from buying things. And I know, you know, Christopher Luxon is proposing a tax change that would, uh, you know, that has something to do with that. Um, but also recently what we've seen in Canada as well is like, you know, as I was saying, the liberals have really low polling. Part of that is because people are really frustrated with housing costs. And the new thing that they've been rolling out is actually the big problem we have is that we've had too many international students coming in recently. Yeah. And that is what's driving up That's housing costs. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And like it, I was talking about this with Kyle before you came, like, I think personality actually comes into play here. And the part of the problem with the liberals is like at their core, they're just losers. 
Like, like they're not people I want to drink with. They're not people I want to spend time with. I was talking to Kyle about a local politician, a guy named Shane Henderson. Um, and he got up to like give a speech about these budget cuts um, at a meeting I was at. And like the, the cuts are almost irrelevant here. He was just simultaneously like so simpering and like so desperate for approval while being condescending that he looked like a little boy in like a bigger man's suit with a little boy's haircut to match. And I was like, I was just struck with this feeling. I was like, you're a loser. And like Chippy's a loser. And this is actually a problem for us because we need you guys to be winners. Like David Seymour, our far right, he's a winner. Trump was a winner. You know what I mean? They had demonic energy. Like they they chased the car like a dog. And, and the guys we need, the guys we need to defend us, they're like, they're fucking losers. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like I just like, and yeah, like, and I think people sense that. Like they sense the excuses. They sense them like blame. And it's, it's just lame. Like it's just a lame excuse to blame it on international students. And I think they can tell. And they're just like, oh, like screw these guys. Like they're not, yeah, they're just like losers. We're going to blame all their problems on everyone else. Yeah. Totally. Uh, well, one thing I say before I let Kyle jump back in, because I know he's he's anxious to do that. Um, but uh, it's funny to hear you say like that these people are like total losers. Right. Because um, even up in Canada, like, you know, Justin Trudeau is like, you know, like sexy Justin was like how he was kind of perceived when he came to power. Right now, people yeah. don't see him that way so much anymore. I'm sure some, you know, liberal support. Well, he's still a whatever. loser. I mean, like, I think he's the same it, guy. Oh, like, totally. Now we realize that whole like I'm a male feminist shtick. Like, look at my boxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's embarrassing to talk like that now. And like, it was just this strange confluence of time where like all of a sudden that was cool. Like, and the problem is they all wanted to be Obama, but Obama was actually cool. Like Obama was evil, but he was he could actually land a three pointer. Like he was cool. Yeah. And like, and like these guys, Jacinda was cool. She actually had the juice. Like yeah. It's not scientific analysis, but she had it. Like Trudeau just doesn't. <laughs> like he never really has. But but what I was going to add to what you're saying is that uh, you know I was telling you about this this opposition conservative leader Pierre Polyev up here in Canada. Yeah. Um, he was previously known. So if people don't remember before Justin Trudeau was in power, we had a conservative prime minister for about a decade and his name was Stephen Harper. Um, and he was like, uh, you know, from the right wing of the party, he, you know, had these kind of more libertarian economic policy views, you know, very pro fossil fuels, all that kind of stuff. And at the time, this guy, Pierre Polyev was known as his attack dog, right? When, when Stephen Harper didn't want to get his hands muddied. Pierre, Pierre Polyev would be sent out to like do the dirty work and say the types of things that Stephen Harper couldn't say himself, right? Um, and so he is always kind of known as being this like really unpleasant figure that like nobody really likes. And now they need to like brush him up for the public, right? Because nobody's <laughs> going to vote for this piece of shit otherwise. Like, you know, as terrible as Justin Trudeau is, like you can't sell that to somebody. So in the past like month or two, He's all of a sudden had this makeover. He's dropped his glasses and he wears contact lenses all the time. He like always wears like a t-shirt and like a blazer. Like he's they tried to like make him more hip and like youthful and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. work. Like, he's doing like, exactly the same thing to Luxon. No yeah. way. <laughs> Luxon's problem wasn't that he was like seen as a piece of shit. Like he wasn't even a tech dog. He's just like a, a blank face. Like he yeah. was like classic CEO man. Um, yeah. but he's doing the a same thing detached. he's wearing a t-shirt with a blazer he's trying to do like snappy <laughs> stuff so much of it landed so badly early on I, I think they've just got him on a loop now and are trying to find some other ways to do it uh yeah. it's well that's why they're using the racism it's like his personality it's like not that likable and and i guess to pull it to new zealand that actually is kind of what interests me about david seymour and worries me about him it's like like trump is a moron like he's charismatic but he's just like fundamentally like a very stupid person and like, kind of luckily for us, he's like too dumb to successfully pull off a coup, at least for the first time. Like, like we're really lucky that he has the attention span of like a, of a, of a gerbil and like tweets while he shits, basically. And that he wasn't like an auditor or like someone with like charisma uh, or like, a, but like, 
But Seymour's... I don't know. He had charisma, though. Charisma's not the right word. Like, Seymour was, like, basic forward planning abilities. (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, but, like, but Seymour's not. And I think, like, he's not a genius, but he's not dumb quite the same way. And he's, like, very successfully... I'm quoting Jacqueline Rose here, but he's very sort of successfully, like, plucking the strings of the colonial unconscious to sort of portray himself as a good, hardworking Kiwi boy. Like, someone who does the hard yards. Like, like people I talk to, like like, normies, basically like affectively like him before they know his politics because he just strikes them as like a good Kiwi lad. And that to me is like, if politics exists downstream from culture, that actually worries me like a lot more than like a Trump type in some ways. Cause like, that's, so in- that's the kind of man that can like enter an institution and like transform it from within, if that makes sense. And I don't know, do yeah. you guys have Canada, someone like that? Um, I don't know if I would describe it the same way, but I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about him that way because like, listen, I, I am not an expert on David Seymour, right? I've certainly watched interviews with him. I've seen some coverage of him and he doesn't come across as like this like really charismatic kind of guy to me, like this really kind of likable dude. But like the media seems to love him down there and loves to get his opinion and like get him on the shows and all that kind of stuff. It's a New like, Zealand I, thing. What what's like yeah. here is just kind of bad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I mean, we're like it's like a pretty philistinic country to be honest. So they kind of like that he's not too brainy or intellectual. They uh... like that he shows up to stuff. They like that he's like he kind of keeps his sentences short. Like like he like you're, he fits the mold here in a way that kind of gotcha. like fit the mold in America. If that makes sense, Kurt Harris. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, do you guys have anything like that in Canada? Like any charismatic far right people, or have you been spared that part so far? I mean, I guess you had like, um, Rob Ford, but like, yeah, <laughs> he, he, you know, he had his own kind of charisma, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say not to the same degree. Like our our kind of common far right dude. Well, let me let me caveat that in in the political sphere, our kind of um you know popular far right dude who hasn't made any real progress. Uh, you know, People's Party leader which i was telling you about um his name is uh what is his name i i'm blanking on his name actually um but i will say that he's like a quebec politician who used to be elected to the conservative party um and but he he has like uh you know he has like a small following who's interested in the kind of things that he says but like he doesn't have the same like the media won't touch him you know he doesn't have that same kind of you know people are not as interested in what he has to say and he doesn't get the same kind of reach but i think an important thing to understand about canada when we're thinking about this kind of growth of the far right politics and like this move to the extreme right by uh you know within the politics of many kind of western countries is that there are quite a number of these thinkers that do come out of canada and like then you know sometimes they they are successful within canada and then um, other times it's like they move to the States and they kind of develop that success there. But like Jordan Peterson is Canadian. Wow. Lauren Southern is Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that 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 voice that Jordan Peterson has. What is it? One of those guys who used to be at Vice, who's like uh, leads one yeah, of these things. He's, yeah. Yeah, him. He's yeah, the Canadian. One, the, one who, the one who's anti-masturbation. <laughs> Sorry. Is he really? <laughs> the nofap guy. I'm like, it's so fucking weird, man. Like, why are you guys like this? <laughs> I had no idea, actually, uh, that that was the case. But like, they're just a small preview. But like, there's a lot of these folks who actually come out of Canada and then enter into this kind of U.S. media sphere um, and become these like uh, far right influencers or white nationalist influencers. Um, it's a it's so, a network, man. Like, oh yeah, because I mean, this is something that we it's actually just starting to get, get talked about in New Zealand. Um, and we've just been going on it for fucking years now. But it's not just that David Seymour has like a good affect when he, when he shows up on media. It's like, why is why is it happening in the first place? And instead, he's got just this huge network of outright organizations that were 
that came directly out of the party and the party itself came directly out of, you know, other organ- astroturf organizations. It was, it started out as an astroturf organization before it became a political party, all kind of doing soft entryism on each other. So we've got like the taxpayers union or the freedom of speech, um, the free speech union um, and, and a variety of other, you know, personalities um, who go around doing road shows um, and build these narratives for 12 months or so in advance, normalize them on a, at a baseline which means that when the Act Party releases PR, you know, they've got it all ready to go because it's all been workshopped and media are like, oh yeah, that sounds right. You know, it's, they have, they've greased the pipe um, to an extent that everything just seems to go a lot easier for them. And if something is seeming to go easy for a politician, maybe they've got, maybe they've got it right in some way, you know, and, and because New Zealand's so small, it builds up this kind of reputation around it. Um, I think something you hear a lot about David Seymour in the the sense, you know, that people have a good uh, opinion of him if they're not following politics is that he door knocks really hard. Yeah. Like, that's, they also, he's a hard worker. Like it yeah. really takes him to the unconscious. Like he, he'll be out on the street and you'll see him. You're like yeah. you'll see him in his electorate out there, like talking to business owners and going up to houses, like as the party leader. This is something that is very core uh, to the way that he presents himself, uh, and it's it's very easy stuff to do. And he's been doing it for like six years. But there's also this narrative that's been built up around it by all these other organizations, so that you're not sure exactly where that idea comes from. And you can take that, and in the same way as you know, you're talking about your Canadian exports, you can move it across. Uh, to the other Commonwealth countries and go, wait a fucking second, this guy's come over from this other place. Where did that connection happen? Um, and I I said at the beginning of the podcast, I didn't really want to get into doing UK stuff uh, because the UK is like the peak case um, of the most, like just this outrageous shit. Um, and especially in terms of the the Labour Party there, um, you know, the centre, ostensible centre-left party, they are so right-wing now. They like, it, that strategy has fucking worked for the far right um, and for as a wedge impetus um, alongside uh, corporate corporatized capital um, to absolutely pull the entire political conversation so much further right wing um, than that country has ever seen. And all the people working in the think tanks there and the media there directly linked to stuff here in New Zealand. Um, yeah, so you've got traffic. Yeah. Yeah. You got think tanks at a place like. Um, there's a, it's um, colloquially, not, colloquially known as Tuckman Street. Um, they've got a whole range of uh, different right-wing economic think tanks there. Luxon was visiting there a couple of uh, end of last year um, and looking for economic ideas. Barely got covered. Like, we saw, I think we saw a story in The Guardian, maybe one in The Herald here. Came back over. Some of those guys are out working for the TPU now, as far as I know, like on mm-hmm. internships. And you're like, so that's Taxpayers Union, you know, it's like this astroturfing, Act Party outrider who has just today had uh, been in the media uh, because uh, Farrah Hancock at Radio New Zealand uh, found that they had very clear a very clear case on the astroturfing website uh, dipping into diversity language that was owned by the campaign company, the director of which is the same as the director of the yeah. taxpayer union. Probably, like- it's over like Jane Pay- Jane Mayer dark money, isn't it? Like it's, it's like, just it's and, so ridiculous. It is so. It's, that's just kind of how it. Yeah. It's all findable, it's you know. And, and every like you know when you've something about the states, Karen, or you've something about Canada, Paris, you're like, oh wait, what the fuck? That's exactly the same thing that's happening here right now. Um, to the extent that every white ring party at the moment has a fucking loser, um, trying to run as the like 
top um, candidate and they're trying to workshop them in exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, and it's DeSantis or, you know, whoever it's over not gonna in the work. States. Like the base is just going to like, they're like, they've, they've got a taste for like Trump now in America. Like they're not going to go for like, no. but even here, even here in New Zealand, they want steak. Like they want, yeah. they want that sweet, sweet destabilization. <laughs> like <laughs> Even in New Zealand, it's not working right. Like um, people hate Luxor. Like even his own, yeah, yeah. like his own electorate hates him. Um, yeah, and they they all love David Seymour because he's yeah he's, he jokes about he jokes about blowing up the Ministry of Pacific Peoples. Like that's what they want. They want you know what I mean. Like yeah, <sighs> I like I think there are there are some different lines here. I, I think actor probably takes some hits around that that they they didn't expect to. I'm actually not sure they have. That might be a point of disagreement for us. Yeah, yeah it could yeah. well be. But I, I, think, think... I don't think anyone will come out as like saying like oh I loved that he said he like, so mm-hmm. oh sorry so Paris very briefly. I'm the leader of a far right party. I, I know. Vote. Yeah. Oh, you know. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it, that's the thing. It's like it's a little like um, Trump's like racist stuff. Like no one will come out and say they like like that stuff initially. But there are people feeling it in the silence of their hearts. Like they're, you know, they're like, yeah, about damn time someone finally fucking said it. Yeah. Like, I think I think we might see. Positive yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to see. We're going to find yeah. out. Um, I think one of the things uh, that is maybe a little bit different is we don't have the media here, which like absolutely loves that red meat. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, they eventually, they felt like a line had been crossed. Um. Yeah. And and act started taking a bit of a hammering. And sometimes, just having that narrative shift switches people off. It doesn't matter if they kind of agreed with like what he said or it resonated with them in some reason. They're like, oh, but yeah. society kind of doesn't like him a little bit now. And yeah. that tends to be in New Zealand politics, in my opinion, more of a leading edge, um, than a big, uh, kind of grabby piece of media. But yeah, I, I'm. Well, we're going to find out in that sense. Yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> you'll find out pretty soon, I think, as well, yeah. uh, with this uh, election not too far away. <laughs> I, I think I was just going to add, like, based on hearing what you're saying, like, um, I think we see something very similar in Canada, right? Like, I've been talking about this Conservative Party leader, like. It, people like him less than they like Justin Trudeau. Like, even though he's a pretty new face as leader of the party, like people have kind of made up their mind about this guy and they do not like him because they know who he is. But the reality is that despite the fact that people don't like him, the conservatives are currently polling well ahead of the liberal party um, just because they're more fed up with Trudeau than they are with this guy. Exactly the same situation here. Have yeah, you had yeah. this um this particular line, which is people haven't had the chance to know him yet? Oh, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're yeah. still getting that here in New Zealand, and this guy's been yeah, around well, for like eighteen months. It's it's ludicrous. It's so insane. I I feel like we usually <laughs> do hear that. Um, I feel like with this guy, we've been hearing it actually a little bit less, just because he has been around for a while. Right. And he has been a bit of a face. Now he did kind of recede a little bit under the the two leaders since Stephen Harper kind of lost um, in 2015. Uh, But, you know, people kind of see who he is. And, you know, in the kind of months after taking over, he was like stumping for cryptocurrency and like supporting anti-vaxxers. And like, so people quickly got an idea of like who this dude was. And that's part of the reason they're like doing this rebrand and changing how he looks and stuff like that. Right. They try to freshen him up and and kind of making make him a little kind of more appealing to a broader segment of the public because they see this opportunity in the polls. I, I think, think person. 
I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think at the moment, like Trudeau is in a difficult place, right? Um, he says he does want to run in the next election and intends to stick around. Um, I don't know if it made it uh, as far as New Zealand. He recently oh, got yeah. divorced from his wife. I heard that. No, that's it. That was sorry, okay. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. Um. So Deleted you know Twitter he's bio, he's like free now to like yeah. run as many elections as he wants. Um. <laughs> I I I, <laughs> I think I think he <laughs> I think he will run again. Like I really do. And and personally, like I think this is a bit unpopular to say on the Canadian left personally. Um. But I think he should stick around because to be honest, like the other alternatives in the liberal party are worse and are like more austerians and like on the right wing of the party and would want to push that even harder. Um, and then the other thing is like, if he loses, then we have this like total wacko uh, who would yeah. be leading the conservative party because the, the new Democrats are not going to win government. Like that's just not happening. It's never happened before. Um, Wait, so, um, and do you, do you think Trudeau can win it though? Like, do you think he's got the juice or do you think people are I like, do. he's, he's a really good campaigner. Um, and it, this is what we said about Ardern. Um, and yeah, you're coming into there, there's kind of some rumors about maybe she's going to leave. Um, yeah, and I was like, there's she does not need to. Like, people are like, oh, can she go toe to toe with uh, like a ascendant uh, national party? And like, as soon as they hit the campaign, she's going to wipe the fucking floor with them. Um, exactly. and I was like, she's got to stick around, and then she didn't. I mean, you know, it was for personal reasons or whatever, but you have to think there are other things in there as well. And I wonder if you'll see something similar happen with Trudeau. Yeah, like Trudeau um, went into the past two elections, you know, a bit, you know, obviously the one he won, he came, he went in as a big underdog. The liberals were actually in third place uh, when that election started. And then he came back and won a majority government, right? Then he's had two other elections since then where he's won minority governments. And even then he went into those elections looking like he might lose and then kind of came back during the campaign because he's really good at that. Um, and so I think what we see right now is that we have two years until another election in Canada. He has an opportunity to really push some policies. They just did uh, last month, I believe it was, they just completely overhauled the cabinet and like replaced a lot of people to put kind of fresh faces in there and get out anyone who didn't have any intention of running in the next election. And so I think they're kind of gearing up for, you know, some sort of policy push um, in the fall. Um, one of the agreements with the New Democratic Party, I know in New Zealand, you know, you have um, pharmacare down there, um, you know, where you get that kind of as part of your public health insurance. We actually don't have that in Canada outside of Quebec. Quebec has it. No other part of Canada does. Um, and one of the agreements as part of this agreement with this like governing deal with the, the New Democrats is that this is going to be brought in by the end of this kind of term of parliament finally and because the u.s has just started to look at something similar to that hasn't it in terms of medicare negotiating i wouldn't say i wouldn't say similar yeah they've looked at negotiating for prices um which is i would say not similar at all it's just like okay. so like uh, until recently medicare was actually banned from negotiating with the drug companies so the drug companies could just set the price and medicare had to pay it um, and so finally, they're starting to be able to negotiate on some drugs. So the hope is that it will bring down some drug prices. Right. But like, you know, the pharmaceutical lobby is still incredibly powerful down there. Um, and that's part of the reason why pharmacare has been delayed so many times in Canada is because, again, of the power of the pharmaceutical lobby. Um, and that USA. You know, they, USA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they basically okay, threatened to like deny us of of access to drugs if we, you know, bring in a public pharmacare program. And yeah. I, I actually think it. 
they were supposed to do pharmacare before the pandemic. And I think part of the reason they didn't end up doing it was because they needed to get the vaccines from the drug manufacturers. Yeah. Um, and I would not be surprised if like somewhere in some like hidden documents, secret documents yeah. that they can't release, there's like a conversation with some drug executive saying like, if you bring in pharmacare, you're not fucking getting the vaccines, yeah. you know, early before everyone else. You're at the back of the line. Well, it's uh, pharmacare in New Zealand is under, under attack all the time by like significant yeah. chunks of the media, um, significant chunks of political um, parties as well. And I just don't think people know what it's like everywhere else, man. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's the fucking song I'm always singing here. They're like, oh, we're overrun with crime. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> up, you little piss baby. Like, grow up. And like, oh, yeah, like, oh, our healthcare system is shit. And like, it could be better. But like, shut up. It's like 20 grand yeah. for an ambulance in America. Like, yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting because I'm sure that you've seen it. Like, we've seen it here as well, especially since the pandemic when, you know, now that we're kind of emerging from this period and there's all this inflation and the healthcare systems were experiencing this, like, difficulty, I, I, as I understand, New Zealand yeah. uh, had some kind of like post-pandemic healthcare challenges as well. Um, and there was like this massive push to increase privatization in mm-hmm. the system to like take advantage of that moment um, and try to erode like public yeah. healthcare even further than it's already. That's been. coming here if, if the right wing parties get in, like yeah. a- immediately and harder than people expect, I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a disaster. They're doing that thing where they're promising like to do massive tax cuts to like quote-unquote like unleash economic growth obviously like the, yeah like I the mean, thing I, that I, has I, totally worked all the other times it's been yeah, done and, like, and, and like it's decades. just funny because like, it's like kyle said about the uk like it's the exact same thing the uk did except the uk was also like hubristic in that like they forgot that like they're not the u.s like they don't issue the world's, <laughs> world's reserve currency and there is not an unlimited appetite for like new zealand's sovereign debt the way there is america so you like you cut what, the are you saying you New can't... Zealand doesn't control the reserve currency of the world? <laughs> no, right? I, mean, I would love it if it did, like fucking meat pies. Um, but but no, like you mean yeah. this 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 pile of New Zealand dollars I'm sitting on isn't like? <laughs> <laughs> no, I I did have a question though about Trudeau. Um, just relative to like, so I've been interested in like political narratives lately. Um, and I I feel like he, Ardern, and Obama were of a similar ilk in the sense of like Obama was this guy who like very successfully portrayed his personal odyssey from like Hawaii to Harvard and then to the White House was as much as his story as like the story of the American dream as we wanted it to be, right? This idea that you could like reconcile like capitalism with like humanism and that like you, you could basically reconcile the contradiction of capital and like everything could be hunky-dory. And now like- yeah, I think Trudeau Trudeau absolutely did not have that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he had like a, he had a celebrity politician type vibe. He's like, I'm a male feminist, like contradictions don't matter, you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, like I admired him at the time. And now I make jokes about him getting like dumped for proposing ethical non-monogamy at like Angel Olsen concerts to my friends. <laughs> like that's how I talk about Trudeau. And I like, obviously I'm just me, but do you think like people in Canada like respect him enough to like put him in again? Like, is that going to be a problem or is that just not an issue at the time, at the moment? I don't, I don't think it's something that would stop him from getting in again. Right. Okay. I don't, people do not have the same, uh, feelings about him that they did in 2015 for the most part like i'm sure that there's still a small chunk of people who are like really enamored by him still but for the most yeah. part people are pretty disillusioned with and he's go. single now yeah totally and, he'll be like, on the single, market like, like now i okay there will be people but, that will him, but, I'm but like, like remember but like remember that justin trudeau does not have that story right justin trudeau's yeah. father was the prime minister and justin trudeau lived like a very privileged life growing up um yeah. and he was like a 
drama teacher or school teacher or something like that. And a ski he's really instructor. good with makeup, I remember in those photos. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, he <laughs> he likes some dark makeup. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he's like, he was kind of this pretty like aloof, uh, you know, kind of dude who eventually grew up and decided actually he was going to go into politics and like, uh, you know, become the prime minister basically because his dad. Become his dad. It. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And, and part of what helped them was his father's legacy, right? Because um, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, you know, Justin's father is, was seen as like one of the really important um Canadian prime ministers who made a lot of kind of positive progressive changes in part because he had a minority government for a while and again relied on the center left party in order to kind of prop him up and force him to do some more progressive things but like we got official bilingualism under him and he brought back the constitution repatriated it from the UK and like there was a bunch of other kind of you know these seem not so positive but like there was a bunch of positive things that kind of happened during his time in office and he was also like kind of a political celebrity as well right yeah. um and and Justin Trudeau has kind of kept that up and so that's just to say that like there's a lot of opposition to Justin Trudeau in the country. It has been pre-existing for a long time because especially in, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan, which are oil provinces, they have always hated him because they see that, you know, he is trying to kill the oil industry when he's, he's actually environmentalist, basically. Exactly. Which is not even true. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, he, 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 yeah, he, he is totally like greenwashing uh, climate action in order to ensure that the oil industry can keep doing what it wants. It has like, he, like his government nationalized an oil pipeline that was uneconomical to make sure it got built to like help continue getting oil to market. And it was supposed to cost like a few billion dollars. And now it's up to like 13 or $15 billion. Like it's way over budget. It's terrible. It's never going to work out. Um, and the way that they promoted it was actually we need this pipeline so we can sell this oil because that oil is going to fund our green transformation and investments in green energy and all this stuff. Uh, like, it's great so new renewed. deal, is it? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, like I'm, I'm getting on a tangent. Um, but yes, I, I think he can come back just because as we were saying like about Ardern, I think he is a really good campaigner. I think also people really hate um, the leader of the conservative party. And I don't think that is going to significantly change. I think that the worst thing he kind of has going for him is if he like, he, like he has two years now and he really needs to address some of these issues that people are facing. If he doesn't do that, he will lose um, because there'll be no way to win enough people back. But if he can like use these next two years to actually bring forward some policies that are going to address housing and that are going to like, you know, address cost of living and these other kind of issues that that average Canadians are facing, then I think he does have a real chance if he wants to stick around of of staying in power. I think this I is one he... of the biggest um, issues with the Labour Party here is that they've had an absolute majority for the last three years. Yeah. Um, and they've had no one like the NDP to being taken, like take advantage of a minority government um, and force them to do the things that would actually be good for them with the electorate. Do you think that the NDP will aid um, a Labour resurgence in that sense, as Labour, oh, a Liberal resurgence, sorry, as the Liberals are kind of soft forced to implement some of those policies to avoid a snap election? Yeah, what, what we often see is that um, when the Liberals and the New Democrats do have to work together, um, the Liberals will often benefit from 
you know, kind of the positive aura of the progressive policies that they implement as a result, right? Because the new Democrats can't really take as much uh, kind of credit for that. Because they're not the really prime minister. Good. Exactly, exactly, because they're not the governing party, right? Um, and one thing that you see um, right now in the media coverage is like every single time Jugmeet Singh, the leader of the new Democrats, goes onto the media to say like, this is a policy that we want to move forward. We're trying to push the government on this. The media is always like, well, why are you doing this deal? Why haven't you pulled out of this deal if you don't like what the liberals are doing and you want them to do something more? And he's always like, but this is the reason the deal exists so I can push them to try to get them to do more. And it's like the media is just playing like an idiot game, right? Like they don't understand how politics works. Yeah, man, this sounds so <laughs> familiar as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like I think it looking at New Zealand as well, like it, it was interesting that you know, the Labour Party had this majority government, um, you know, Jacinda Ardern still reached out to the Greens to, like, get them on board, um, you know, to kind of even though they had this majority government, um, you know, and I and I think it's not even so much that, like, it, it's because the Liberals in Canada have a minority and so they have to be pushed to, like, actually deliver on something like they they can push things through if they want to. Um, I think the problem is just that, like, after eight years in power, they kind of lost a bit of vision uh, for what they wanted to achieve because they got some of those things out of the way early, legalizing marijuana and stuff like that. And and then the pandemic happened. And so you had this, like, whatever was important before kind of got thrown to the side. You had to address this serious crisis for like a year and a half, two years, where this was like the primary focus and other things were, you know, on the kind of back burner. And then there were a number of issues that piled up as a result. So you have the crisis in healthcare, you have the rising housing costs, you have the rising cost of living. And now you need to try to address those things um, because you know, you were previously really focused on ensuring that a ton of people didn't die because of COVID uh, and getting people vaccines and all this kind of stuff. And I think that that is, that is part of the difficulty that some of these parties are facing right now, um, like the Labour Party or, you know, the Liberals in Canada. Or even the um, Tories in the UK, honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that, but like, you know, they are also kind of rudderless. Um, I, I think I think there's some things that are like a little bit different there because they're obviously not going to like push progressive policies anyway. Right. And like Rishi Sunak is like a very kind of right wing leader of the Labour Party or sorry, of the Conservative Party. And he I think he, he kind of benefited from Liz Truss, like being this totally incompetent, like almost like they allowed it to happen. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And then it allowed like Rishi to look like he was the not crazy one when they were both just kind of way out there in terms of insane because he's a shiny yeah. Stanford MBA creep. And like if I'd met him, yeah. in UD, I would have bullied him. Like I yeah. would have <laughs> stuck that little bitch in a locker. Like, <laughs> like, and now all of a sudden he looks like this like totally reasonable figure. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you are still a little creep and you still deserve to be bullied. But anyway, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, so, so I think that part of that issue is like, you know, these parties rightfully were really focused on the pandemic, you know, were really focused on addressing that like public health crisis, probably should have, you know, been paying a bit more attention to some other issues while they were doing that. Like, I think that's a reasonable criticism um, and should have kind of 
pivoted more quickly or or made sure they were paying a bit more attention to these bigger problems that are coming right now. But then I also think that you have this kind of fundamental flaw in the politics of these parties, whether it's the Labour Party in New Zealand or the Liberal Party in Canada, where they are neoliberal parties, right? Um, you know, Labour is traditionally a bit more to the left than the Liberals would be because the Liberals are have always been a centrist party and they don't have those kind of connections to organized Labour. But they're still neoliberal parties, right? And so now that inflation is has has risen, instead of being like, oh, we really need to help people who are struggling right now, they're like, oh, we need to make sure that uh, you know, the markets know that things are cool and okay and good. Um, and so like they need to dabble in austerity and they need to be like, oh, we can only help, you know, poor people so much uh now that they can hardly afford anything. Um, you know, and even middle class people can't afford the homes that they live in anymore. Like there are real problems there that are legitimate um, that explain why it was difficult for them to respond to things. But then there are also flaws in like the core politics that guide those parties as to why they haven't responded effectively. And now, of course, you see in New Zealand where Chris Hipkins and Labour is are like running this campaign where they're basically offering nothing to the New Zealand public to like try to get reelected. As and a winning strategy, as like as a yeah, point right, of difference yeah. with um the national party, yeah. right? It's... You know, they'll make they'll make things worse, and we'll do nothing. Uh, pick 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 your poison, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, and and they'll they'll work with ACT, and we'll like you know throw a few bones to the Greens to like keep them on board or whatever, right? <laughs> I'll vote party green, but if I didn't have to vote for like the Labour coalition, like morally, like I wouldn't want to. Like, I'm like yeah, like I just want to I want to shake Chris Hipkins. I just want to like you know, like put him in a chair and slap him and be like, wake up, like get. Get your shit together so my life doesn't get worse. Like, I want to keep drinking and partying. And if you don't get your shit straight, my life is like, it'll be harder for me to do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like, and like, I would say what we have in Canada right now is like, you know, Trudeau and Ardern have some similarities, right? And Trudeau is still in power here. He didn't leave as quickly as Ardern did. But like the people who are, would be lining up to replace him are like, are kind of more Chris Hipkins types, right? They don't have the kind of they don't have the public profile. They don't have that kind of celebrity. You know, there's no Trudeau mania or Jacinda mania kind of following these people. And they're also more on the right, more open to austerity, wanting to make sure that there's not this kind of ambitious policy program, much more, even more neoliberal than what was already there. Yeah. And like, it's, have, it's not great. Like that here. Uh, so Chloe Swarbrick, and she's good. And oh, yeah, like, yeah. like David Seymour, she's a winner. You know what I mean? Like she actually she door knocks like she wants to win. She shows up to stuff and she's got she's got what I call the juice. Like she's just got yeah. it. But she's like too left wing. So they lock her out of stuff a lot. Right. But, yeah. And I guess yeah, I she guess does seem cool. Um, like is, I don't know yeah. too much about her, but I have been like following her since she was elected. And yeah, she's, she's kind of getting AOC, a politician. Though, it's right? like, um, uh, yeah, it's like it's like and I, th I think that's the difference. It's like she has the charisma of like an Obama or like a Jacinda or an AOC. Or, but like like AOC because she's too materially left like she's a historical materialist they're like they're like no sorry that's the limit like you could help us win like we could make you the face of the party and you know ride back to victory but like no 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 we can't we can't like help the poor that's too much yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like they do have a good tax plan though the greens right the like, greens have a good everything really cool. it's, yeah. it's, it's absurd and it's not being covered and it's just one of the yeah. major issues and it's pre uh, presumably to do what, with what Karen's just said like this this might make the pause vote. Yeah, this, 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 will, like, this will be good. The, yeah, this will upset the neoliberal consensus. So it can't really be. Yeah, yeah. Direct payments are too much. And yeah, yeah.
But you also have the issue where your media is struggling financially. It's mm-hmm. also a very right-wing media, especially when you look at like the private media. That, oh, but I think you'll exists. find that they're individually quite liberal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we hear a lot. Yeah, of course, uh... of course. Yeah, like, and and that's that's a problem that we're facing in Canada as well, right? Where yeah. certainly we have the CBC, the public broadcaster, um, and but they have like gotten worse and worse because they haven't seen significant funding increases yeah. in a long time. Um, and then alongside that, we have a media that has been, you know, kind of laying people off the past number of years. Same here. That um has been consolidating that um you know there's just a few kind of major media properties left and they keep getting you know their kind of journalism budgets cut you know they get have less ad revenue um what our major media chain in canada actually is owned by um a u.s hedge fund and so they're just kind of soaking it for cash like they do not care about canadian journalism so it's a really bad situation and like i know it's interesting because uh uh, maybe your listeners are aware, or maybe um, people have seen that Canada is like moving forward in this uh, with this like plan to tax the, the mm-hmm. tech giants, Google and Facebook. Um, We've got one just face- come through as well. We've just had a exactly. A That's, yeah. Yeah. So I know that you're moving forward with a similar plan down in New Zealand. Um, and and what we've seen, which is a little bit different from what Australia experienced, is that I think Google will play ball. But Meta is very much, you know, Facebook, Instagram is very much uh, opposed this time. And it seems like they feel that news is not core to their product any longer. Um, mm-hmm. And they are more than willing to take news off of the platform and block news on the platform in order to avoid having to pay anything to news publishers in the way that they do in Australia. But it seems like now that they see that Canada and California and New Zealand and other jurisdictions are moving forward with this as well, they really want to cut it off. And like, I don't know if your listeners are aware, but like Canada has had a really bad fire season this mm-hmm. year, like worse than we've seen, you know, in like recorded history, basically more than three times worse than like the previous years that we've seen. Right. And you know, a lot of people use Facebook, right? Like, you know, a lot of the normies in the world still use Facebook and use it to communicate and get their news and stuff. And Facebook shut off news as this was all happening. The bill isn't even like in in force yet, so they wouldn't have to pay anything anyway. And so people are like taking screenshots. Yeah, people are like taking screenshots of news articles to share them on Facebook to like make sure their friends and family have information because Meta will block any news article that gets shared on their website. Like they do not give a fuck about anybody, um, just their like bottom line, right? That's insane. Yeah. I mean, maybe the fact that he deliberately cuts his hair like Caesar Augustus. Yeah. Work, like, <laughs> could have been a clue. Yeah. Could have been a clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe we should have paid more attention to that. But Jesus, before letting him become the world's foremost information distributor. But holy shit. This is why yeah. we need Elon Musk um, to fight back against him. Uh, right. But let's not get into that. I, I just... He's our Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I just before we um, wrap up, I do want to swing back around to um, some of your points, uh, Karen, around how, how this rightward turn is being used at, at an electoral level um to elide you know what is coming in terms of uh, economic policy um and social policy uh, and whether you've had any thoughts about what the solution or the antidote to that is because sometimes it can be real really hopeless when you just see this this deluge uh, deluge of bigotry and hate 
seemingly just getting like recorded and repurposed and regurgitated by uh, some of our key opinion makers, if not journalists themselves, it can become quite overwhelming. You feel like it's like it's everywhere when we know from the polls that it's it's just absolutely not. Yeah. What do I think we can do? Because I asked myself the same question when I sort of like exited any sort of any dalliance with New Zealand media. Yeah, I, I think the answer so far as I see it, it's like on an individual level, it has to be collective. So I'd say like, if you're listening to this and you're like, I feel hopeless, like, what do I do? I would say, get off the internet and like, go join people against prisons. I'll put the link under my Twitter. Like we meet once, twice, once a fortnight on uh, K road, like join your green party, like start talking to people in real life. Cause like the people in the, like the racists in the media are not going to change. Even if they're nice racists, like like even if they're like actively enabling, right? Like like Matthew Hooten, racist. Ben Thomas, racist. Like um, Thomas Coughlin, enabling racist, right? And you're not going to win them over. So like you need to start pushing back in your own life. Like start having uncomfortable conversations. Like join material impactful groups. Like start door knocking. Start getting politically involved in whichever way works for you. Like housing groups, people against prisons, Green Party stuff. But yeah, like like just stop trying to get the media to change because it's like Lenin said, like. You can't reform a, an institution away from its fundamental purpose. And like capitalist media's job is to is to stabilize markets for capitalism. So that's never going to be the instrument of our delivery. And like we need to create like communicative networks on the ground and to do the things that social media like Discord and Twitter allow for and like our own information networks and like distribution means. Um, because otherwise, like they're just going to sleepwalk us into into rebuilding boot camps. I mean, I mean, that's my thing. Actually, I, I was holding back on saying it, but that's my thing. It's like like David Seymour's plan where he wants to designate a certain class of people, a societal waste product and dispose of them as such. There's a historical precedent for that and it's concentration camps. And we need to do everything we can to keep New Zealand from getting to that point in 10 or 20 years because they're unlike these sort of insane, stupid right-wing pundits will tell you, like there is very little stopping that from happening. Like it, it could, if we let it, it will happen. So anyway, that's my spiel is just go out, get involved, talk to people in real life and like, and get off the internet. Let's stop trying to get people on the internet to change because it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah, something we always go back to as well. Like organizing is how you do it. And also, yeah, yeah just connecting with people. And you're right. Uh, and it's one of the most frustrating things to see in the kind of media poll loop is ACT and David Seymour in particular getting away with doing the, oh, actually, the thing we don't like is the apartheid. Yeah, yeah. Um, or the thing that, you know, they've just had, um, they've had list candidates have had to leave the party because these LinkedIn comments turned up where they compared vaccines to concentration camps. Yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're doing this stuff as a projection, what strategically they have planned, even if not that's not necessarily like the direct intent that's going to be in their policy documents. But if you're planning to put 17-year-olds or like children into military-style prison camps at the same time as ramping up bigotry and rhetoric against Pacific people and Maori, pretty easy to see where where that uh, rhetoric leads you. Um, yeah, and I think my only other thing to anyone listening is just like, next time you hear some, like, because there's a real tendency towards reconciliation in this country, like there's a real desire to always get along, like an urge towards comedy. But like, next time you hear someone say something racist, just like feel empowered by me, like a mean American to just, just be like, hey, like, what the fuck are you saying? Or like, or next time someone's, time someone's like, oh, I like David Seymour, be like, oh, like Kendall Hitler, like that little bitch. Like, just start, <laughs> start getting mean. You know what I mean? Because like, that's like, 
this urge towards reconciliation only helps the right wing. And and one thing we can do is we may not, as on the left, we might not have money, we might not have like many numbers right now, but we do have brains and we do we do have funny people and we can make it embarrassing to associate with these people. Like like we can make it like we can make yeah, we can make people feel uncool and like losers for like voting for racists. And like that might be the only thing we can do in the next five weeks. So let's let's do that. <laughs> like, yeah. I also think that like even when you're not talking about like um you know like people who are like inherently terrible like if you're just talking to like people who you know who are not like super kind of political and are just like watching what's in the news and like maybe picking up on some of like the bullshit narratives that like the media is putting out there about like you know David Seymour or Chris Luxon or whatever and how they might actually do good things for like working people and oh they're going to put all this money in your pocket with their big tax cut and blah 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 right um like just not even like in like a confrontational way but just like be ready to like try to inject some like reality into that yeah. um because especially if they like know you and trust you like they'll be open to like hearing what you have to say and they'll be like maybe that maybe they won't buy it maybe they'll still be like no i bet i still like chris luxon or whatever right but somehow. i think that yeah it's somehow exactly but like i think that the more that you already have a relationship with somebody like the more open that they'll be to like reassessing their views or their opinions or like what they heard on the media if you just like have a very even simple like conversation with them just to dig into some of those things right because often i feel like people don't have many people in their lives who they can like just even have those kind of slightly deeper conversations with to get into like serious issues and like the problems that we face in our society and how we actually address them um and i think that what you often find is that people are actually very interested in having those conversations and thinking about how they make their communities better and like address the problems in their lives. But like we've set up a political culture where they're not able to do that. And like their only main engagement is like absorbing this shitty media from, you know, collapsing private media empires that we have. And then also just kind of casting a ballot every three years in New Zealand or four in Canada, um, you know, it, just to like get some party in power um and so i think just like being open to have those conversations instead of like letting things slide and not yeah. always doing so in like a confrontational way depending on the type of person who you're talking to um <laughs> can be yeah. you know, I, I, I take like, part of my thing back if if you can persuade the person to do what paris said <laughs> yeah <laughs> if yeah. you can't be really mean <laughs> like yeah exactly sometimes there's totally a role to be controversial yeah. and to like just call people out but i think that there's also often opportunities where you can just talk to somebody and like have a meaningful conversation that I, I i think sometimes you can be surprised by like how open people are to talking about these things and how open they are to like changing their minds but people often don't talk about these things because like you know what what's what's one of the things that that, that is like a common expression i'm sure it's, it exists in new zealand as well but like what are the things you don't talk about is like you know, taxes and or, or uh, politics and religion and stuff like that. Right. But like, I don't know. I think people actually really enjoy talking about that. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, you know, maybe we're just fucking nerds. Yeah. As left wing and put my salary right under it. Um, and like agnostic, yeah. <laughs> just to get that all out of the way. There you go. <laughs> we can just get straight into it with people I see on the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's, Political culture here in New Zealand is weird. And, and that's just how it is sometimes. And 
often you'll talk to people who are who are disengaged and be like, oh, I don't really like Labour or National. Like, okay, well, what about these other guys? And sometimes that is that's all that is needed. Like, oh, but I thought one one or one didn't, and that was it. You know, mm. like we're we're at that level, we're at that stage of uh, electoralism here in New Zealand because we don't have this culture around talking about it, like at the kitchen table, um, yeah, or, or being able to have these conversations in a in a comfortable way. And it's like this, you know, ang- this weird Anglo thing, and it, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. But it's also like we've lost those kind of um, kind of collective organizations where we used to, you know, or at least maybe some people used to receive a bit more kind of political consciousness through them, right? Like the decimation of the labor movement. And oh, absolutely. Which was worse in New Zealand than almost anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and you know, there are many other kind of communal organizations that have been like eroded over the neoliberal period, where people used to actually come together and have conversations, and maybe they were kind of more politically inflected organizations. And that is just kind of gone now, right? And, you know, one of the things that we talk about, I'm sure in New Zealand, same as in Canada, is like how people are increasingly lonely, they have fewer contacts who are close to them, like in their lives, right? The only um, answer is uh, fascism, sorry, Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. get everyone into into sports leagues and bowling alone or yeah, yeah. <laughs> just get everyone playing like basketball or something so 20 percent of our problems but yeah you know i, I don't know I, I think that obviously there are like a ton of problems in our societies right and like simple conversations aren't going to solve that but i think that it is especially like when there's an election coming up and it does have quite big stakes and unfortunately like the options in front of you like are not always the greatest um but you are trying to avoid like the worst case scenario um you know i think it can be can be helpful to kind of have those conversations because i think people are actually really open to changing their minds and i also think that a lot of people are actually more like i wouldn't say like left but like at least more like progressive or like you know kind of leaning in that direction than their voting patterns might always show um and also kind of the opinions that they espouse might always show because a lot of people don't think too deeply about these things and just they hear the narratives in the media and yeah. then end up repeating these things because they think that is what kind of sounds intelligent or they think that that is the the way to understand these things. That's right? how the narrative works or how the discourse has developed. Um, and you see this all the time in polling. And, you know, I talk about this yeah. constantly. The electorate is by and large very progressive compared yeah. to uh, the ruling political parties. Um, and you see it again and again, and then you'll see, you know, all these national voters who are like, yeah, I think the wealthy should be taxed. You know, wait, not even Labour's doing that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I think there's a disjunct there and, and someone's having just a, a conversation about it is enough. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to swing the election. No, um, no. <laughs> but... We need Lula. We need like a, a really like the <laughs> left populist who's like, we do on the weekend to grill with your family. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. that's what we need. We, we do. We do. Yeah. Hey, we yeah. might wrap it up there. I think it's a fantastic place to leave it. Um, bring uh, a New Zealand Lula onto the political <laughs> scene here. Uh, We'd like one up here in Canada as well. If you got to. Like okay. It. Yeah. If we're going to spare one. We'll send a, we'll send a <laughs> Thank you. Away. Yeah. <laughs> Or, um, or thanks so much for joining me uh, both of you Paris Karen absolutely it's uh, yeah, been glad. really fun that's been another episode uh, special web, uh, midweek cast for you all if you've enjoyed it give it a share let people know give it five stars give us some money um, still working on building some kind of fundraising thing so that you can give us more money but in the meantime the Patreon link is in the summary 
go out and uh, join some of these organizations that uh, Karen has talked about uh, this evening. Uh, get involved with your local election campaign if that's your thing. Um, it can be really rewarding uh, to get out there and door knock and talk to people and have these conversations with people that you wouldn't normally connect with. Um, I think it's really eye-opening, if nothing else. Um, it's a really great experience. Just um, not if you're doing it for ACT. If you want to do it for ACT, then it's, stay home. You can stay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of those things where people are like, I don't care who you vote for, just but I do care who you vote for. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think people should say that more often. Like, yeah. I, I don't think you should vote um, Labour or anything to the right of them. Um, yeah. we, we need to vote heavily in the other direction if we're going to solve anything at this point uh, in human history. Uh, so convince people to vote and convince people to vote for the people you want them to vote for. And we're, I'm assuming everyone in the audience is left wing, but if you're not, fuck you. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad you're giving me more, uh, more of an audience with your hate listens, but you can fuck off. That's been another week. Uh, we'll catch you on Saturday um, and Sunday for our current events. And we might have some more midweek casts uh, looking at tax policy next week. That's one of 200. Offices are denied. Living a pointless life, but learning all your lessons. Fucking politics is no distinction. The words are now. It's paid with good intentions. And I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say. When they quote this as a cost, we ought to stay. Cause I live amongst the people every day. And this vindictive, forgetful fucking rage.